This is Hugh Douglas from 9290 Game, and you listen to MTMV Sports. What's good? It's your boy Stephen Malcolm, and you are listening to MTMV Sports. Let's get it. Welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. We have a very special guest in our next episode of the KYP Podcast. I'm very pleased to announce my friend, uh, one of the greatest basketball minds of all time, Coach Vance Wahlberg. Coach, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it, Nick. Glad to help out. Um, let's go over a couple here. You've spent over 40 years in the game as a high school, junior college, uh, Division One college, and NBA college coach. You spent the majority of your time uh, as a head coach at, uh, at Clovis West High School, where you've won seven Valley championships out of 10 attempts, 11 attempts. You've won over 91% of your games. Uh, you went to junior college for four years with a staggering 133-11 and 11 record, including a 34-0 and 0 state championship year, two-time coach of the year. You had stints in Division I as a head coach at Pepperdine, assistants at UMass in Kentucky, and then you spent five years in the NBA as an assistant to the Denver Nuggets, Philadelphia 76ers, and lastly, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, coach, uh, full career, even in that, um, 40 years in the game, Anything I miss on there? Any good memories that come up with those things? No, uh, I actually just finished my 42nd year, Nick. I was never an assistant at Kentucky. I've always popped in and helped John Calipari when he was at Memphis in Kentucky. John and myself are close, but I've never been an assistant there. Just okay, a, so you were an advisor. Uh, 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 just a very good friend. Very <laughs> good friend. Um, and ironically, as, as a very good friend, you helped, uh, or he is where he helped launch your uh, what's called, what, what they call the dribble drive offense. That's where it got national recognition. And that's where it was seen on a national TV and national stage and where you were able to kind of propel it to the, to the pro ranks. Um, this interview, there, there are a dozen uh, or more Vance Wahlberg interviews over the years. And I've heard all of them and watched all of them. This one's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to talk about your life, your parents, uh, where you played at coaching, coaches you learned from, uh, things of that nature, and kind of get more you as a personality and, and what makes you you and and how you've developed your philosophy as a coach over the years. And the reason I, I did that is, you know, I, I had a conversation with a friend over the phone, a basketball coach, and he's telling me he's going over plays and he put the two here and the three here and you bring this pistol screen up and you do all this stuff and we're over the phone. And like my mind is, I can't even follow it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy, if I'm hearing it, it's I have to see it. And so I said, when I started a podcast, we would talk basketball. We talk X's and O's, but this isn't like a chalk talk uh, type interview. This is more of a kind of get to know you and what makes you you um, interview. And I think that'll be different from uh, any of the interview or most of the interviews that you've had. Um, so, Coach, why don't we start at the beginning here? Where did you grow up? Um, how was your home life, parents and siblings? Uh, how was that growing up as, as a child? Uh, for me, I was really lucky, Nick. I mean, I had two great parents. I was born in Queens. Um, the reason I was born in Queens is I have six brothers besides myself. You know, there's seven boys in the family, no girls. 
Wow. And my mom had the first six within eight and a half years, no twins. So she was kind of <laughs> pop them out pretty fast. So whenever she had a baby, we lived in Pennsylvania at the time, but when she had one of us, she would go up to her parents' house, have the kids there. And we would, I think we were born in St. Anne's uh, hospital, whatever, but uh, we were born up in Queens. I lived 10 years. My first 10 years was in Pennsylvania. I really enjoyed it. Um, I remember when I was 10, my dad said, hey, my job's going to take us back. You know, we're going to move. And like any young kid, you know, you don't want to move from your friends. But the big something he said was, hey, we're going to have a pool in our backyard. So that, I still remember that. So we drove. Uh, my parents decided to make it a, a teaching it took, they took 30 days. Can you imagine this? And at the time, I only had five brothers. My, our last, you know, first uh, eight years, the first, the first six of us came in. Eight years later, my last brother came. So mm -hmm. at this point, my last brother wasn't in the picture yet. So if you can imagine, we took 30 days to travel the country in a station wagon with six boys. I was 10. I had a brother, 11. 12 and 14, one that was nine and seven. <laughs> so imagine driving across cross country with six kids, six boys like that, and with the, all the antics that we do and so forth. I still remember a couple of, you know, my dad pulling over my deal. You know, and again, I, I respect it. You know, when we didn't do our deal, you know, it was take the belt off and you mm -hmm. get smacked, you know, and I still think that's, I think a lot of kids nowadays could use that. Um, I still remember being on the side of the highway and a couple of us would have to get our butts back because we, you know, we're screwing around or whatever. Uh, I remember I'm in the backseat of the station wagon and next thing I know, I see all the luggage on the top are flying off our oh, no. wagon. It just wasn't packed right. <laughs> but just little things like that you remember. And then I still remember the first day that we got to California you know, we never been in a pool before. We're out in the pool all day. My mom and dad are, they're putting stuff in the house. Movers came and we're out in the pool. I still remember that night, we were all sunburned to heck. <laughs> not realizing, you know, because we never been in the pool before, you know, but no, I had really good parents, um, learned an awful lot. My dad was the disciplinarian. He was strict. My mom was, um, well, you can imagine being a mother with no daughters and seven boys. Uh, she was an angel, uh, never liked to touch us, hit us. All she would say is, I remember when your father comes home, he'll handle it. And he'd come home and she would say, okay, today it was Greg, Vance, and Brett. And bam, we got our, <laughs> our butts whipped. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll hear you talk about that. You know, I see you light up. I bet those were some of the best times in your life, you with your brothers and, and some really good parents, having all those boys around the same age in a household that, that you guys had to build some competitive spirits and, and some competition and everything growing up. How was that? Definitely. I, I really feel that's where my competition came in. It's something, you know, I'm not a very good loser. Um, I, I hate losing. I think most, you know, I kind of like the phrase, you know, of, show me a good loser, I'll show you somebody, whatever it is, not a very good competitor. I don't know what the saying is, but I just know for me, um, you know, I had a brother a year above me and one year below me. So it's kind of neat in high school when one was a senior, I 
started with one. He was a senior. I was a junior. When I was a senior, my brother didn't start the one behind me, but he was the first one off the bench. And then same when we went to junior college, we played together. So it was fun. It was neat. Uh, but definitely, I mean, we competed everything. I mean, when we sat down at the dinner table, you know, it was competition. Who the heck can get the you know more food? Because when we were growing up, you know, not that we were poor, but the end of the months, you know, at the time, you know, my dad wasn't making a lot of money at the time. Eventually he did, but he was an engineer in Ford Aerospace. But what happened is, you know, I still remember it'd be the last three, four days, five days of the month, you know, it would be either soup or cereal for dinner, just the way it was. So you got to California and you said you were 12 years old, correct? Yeah. 10, 10 years old. So talk about, and that's where you settled for, for the rest of your teenage years and into your adult life. Talk about when you started playing on sports teams and whether basketball was your number one or you played other sports or how you kind of started to build your game. Well, when you grow up, you know, especially, you know, with six brothers, we, we did everything. You know, we, we would go play baseball. We would play, you know, kick the can. We, you know, whatever games, Frisbee, I remember playing ultimate frisbee in the backyard and back east um the reason i kind of got involved in basketball is i never really got to play little league baseball it's one of the things i wish i could have but you gotta imagine now just imagining you remember my my mom didn't work but she raised seven boys and six of them within eight and a half years apart so it was like bang 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 so we played baseball. It was real hard for her to take us one to one field, one to another, one to another, one to another. So the easiest thing for her, she would take us down to the YMCA. She would take us down to the gym, let us play down there, take us down to the schoolyard, and we would play. And that's kind of how we got involved in, in, in basketball a lot more than anything else. Um, I was a late bloomer. Um, I was one, I still remember in seventh grade, um, this Two of my best friends, actually three of them, were just fantastic athletes. Um, Tim and Tom O'Dowd were, when they were seventh graders, were just, you know, we back then, we had, uh, we were exponents. We were either A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. A's were kind of usually the eighth graders and just the stud seventh graders. Uh, B's were more the seventh graders. Um, and maybe an eighth grader if they weren't very good. Mm-hmm. And then C's were kind of just, Whoever could, you know, whatever was left over. They, you know, it could be seventh graders. They could, you know, I don't think eighth graders were on there. They might have been, but usually A's were the studs, B's were, you know, and from there. In seventh grade, I went out for football. I got cut. I got cut from the B's and I got cut from the C's. <laughs> I went out for basketball. I got cut um, from the B's that kept me on the C's. Um, and my best friends were on the A's. Uh, went out for baseball, I got cut and, and everything. Couldn't make anything. Wow. Went out for back, and they threw everybody into the mile. That was as bad as I was. I remember I ran the mile. That was it. Eighth grade year, went out again, got cut in football. Went out in basketball. I did make the B team. My eighth grade year was kind of with the seventh graders and the not as good eighth graders. And then um, – Went out for baseball, got cut again, and then ran the mile in eighth grade. So you come home obviously disappointed as a young person, you know, uh, getting a lot of, of a failure as, as an athlete to begin with. What did, what did your parents say to that? How did they help you, or, or did you have conversations with them about that? 
Yeah, just again, when you grow up, you know, my parents were always believers in you get what you what you earn. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be good, go for it. You know, and, and I remember at that point I was saying, you know, because I loved basketball at the time. So I would go down the park and play. I went, I remember going down to Deanza Junior College on Friday nights. They had an open gym there. You just mm-hmm. go down there and you know, you go in and play. I would just find whatever place I could play. You know, so I go from a kid who was, you know, got cut in junior high basically, who when he was a senior in high school was MVP of the league because of how hard I worked. So let's talk about that. You go to high school. Uh, what, what was the high school that you played for? I played at Monta Vista High School in Cupertino, California. Um, I always joke with people, and I always tell them, you know, Kurt Rambis and myself. Kurt Rambis went to the rival high school, Cupertino, mm. and I was at uh, Monta Vista. And I tell people all the time, you know, I was MVP of the league when Kurt played. You know, because wow. Kurt went on and played in the NBA. But I don't tell people. Kurt was a sophomore when I was a senior. So little, little advantage there. Yeah. So you play there. Now, did you start on the freshman team? Did you go freshman JV varsity? How long did it take you to finally get to that league MVP your senior year? Oh, I, went, I played freshman, then I played JVs, and mm-hmm. I played varsity my junior year. Um, I started my junior year. My brother was the best player on the team. He was a senior. So we both started. That was really a lot of fun. Uh, one of my best times ever. And then my senior year, uh, ended up making the MVP of the league. What kind of player were you? I mean, if you're the MVP of the league, it probably means you're good at a lot of things. But if you were to describe your game as a player, how would you describe it? Um, not – I was just somebody that found a way, got to the rack, mm-hmm. um, found a way to score. Not a great shooter, not a bad shooter, but not a great shooter. Just kind of nothing ever pretty, but just kind of effective. Um, I thought – I felt like I was a very good defensive player. I was probably, you know, at that time I was, you know, 6'2", you know, and I was a point guard. So mm-hmm. back then I was a pretty tall point guard um, for back then. But that's, you know, because I, I played with the ball all the time. Um, I always went out and worked on ball handling and, and so forth. But uh, not nothing super, you know. Nowadays I would say I would probably have been a, a low D1 player, end up going to Cal State Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. Back then on a scholarship at a junior college, but nothing, nothing, you know, super, but just tough. Talk about your, your high school coach, because that was probably, I'm hearing your career. That was probably the first real coach that you played for, you know, an organized structure athletics. Talk about your high school coach and what you learned from him. My high school coach was actually an Indian, um, tough son of a gun. He, in fact, he just went, I went to his funeral Earlier this year, I think it was 92 or 93. Wow. Really good person. Um, his name was Ray Snyder. Um, respect the heck out of him. Very disciplined. Um, I always kind of joke. I mean, if he saw us play the way my team plays now, he would probably have a heart attack a lot sooner. Um, <laughs> we used to, you know, have to pass the ball 15 times, 10 times before we could shoot it. One of those old-fashioned type mm-hmm. of coaches. Um, but he taught discipline. He taught how to do things right. Um, and it's kind of funny. As I look back, uh, I knew when I was a junior in high school, I wanted to be a PE teacher and a coach. Mm. But it wasn't because of him. Mm-hmm. It was actually because of a PE teacher I had who was a football coach. His name was Chuck Rogers, who actually passed away a long time ago, uh, a while ago. 
But Chuck Rogers kind of took an interest in me. Um, I just love the way he is. I, and I love being in sports. And he was kind of a person that kind of got to me. Um, but my high school coach definitely talked discipline. Um, I remember the game, shoot, we're playing Fremont, one of our rivals. And you know who Mike Gregory is? Mm-hmm. Mike was a very good player. I ended up playing JC, went to play, you know, got a scholarship at Fresno State. And Mike was a year above me, and I had a guard, Mike, and Mike hit a bucket early in the game, and coach called timeout right away. Just ripped my butt. You know, we talked about not doing this, this, and this. Scored a bucket maybe two minutes later and got on my rear again, just mm-hmm. caught another timeout, just the way he was. I mean, and the final score, if I remember, was like 27-24, 29-26, you know. But Mike had eight or ten. And but every every time he scored, he was he was pissed at me. And but he was very disciplined and taught me a lot that way. So MVP of the league, um, were you recruited anywhere? You talked about going to Deans, and you also talked about that was probably walking distance from your house. Were you recruited anywhere, and how'd you end up at Deanza? Nope, not recruited. Um, I you know JC coach was interested in me. Nobody else. You know back then the recruiting was completely different. Yeah. Um, went to play at junior college. Uh, I had a coach named Tony Nunes, and Tony was one heck of a coach. Um, really, really good coach. Um, different in the aspect, Tony was only going to play six or seven people. You know, I think, you know, I like playing 10, 11, 12, but he was only going to play six or seven. Now I'm going to a junior college, and I'm telling you, we had, we had nine guards on that team where I think five of them were MVP of leagues. Yeah, um, we had some really good competition. My freshman year, I didn't get to play a, a lot there. Um, we had a team that went to the state tournament, and back then, only if you only went to the state if you won the league. We played against Dennis Johnson's team in the first round of the state tournament. L.A. Harbor ended up losing to them, um, but I learned a lot there. Um, it was just, again, very disciplined. You're going to do it his way. Um, you know, different style than I played, but I, I learned an awful lot from Tony. So you you didn't play as much your freshman year. Um, did you play more your sophomore year, and how did the team do there? Uh, second year again, sophomore year. I remember we didn't start off very well in the league. Coach was ready to bench all the sophomores and go with the freshmen. Mm-hmm. We kind of turned it around. I mean, I started my whole sophomore year. Um, I believe I'm still the all-time career leader in steals there. Um, very good defense, but I averaged about, I think, 13, 14 a game. Um, got interest from, I was offered a half a ride, half a scholarship to San Jose State, uh, to Washington State, half a scholarship, and up uh, Cal State Bakersfield, one of my heroes growing up that played at Monta Vista and at uh, DeAnza, went to Cal State Bakersfield, so I kind of followed him down there with the full ride down there. So you recruited to Bakersfield, you signed a full ride scholarship. And you talk about the coach there and, you know, what you learned from him and how you're starting to develop. Now you've played for two really good coaches and now you're at the university level. What did you learn from your college coach? And it's probably mean to say he was a really good person. Pat Winahan was a very good person, but not a very good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned what not to do as a coach. And, you know, my whole time when, you know, I was always raised, if a teacher or coach said this, you do it. Mm-hmm. I still remember, I mean, we had a talented team at Bakersfield. Um, 
shoot, I believe my two years there, even though we were division two, I think we played 18 division one teams during those two years. Uh, my first year there, we beat Fresno State both times. We played them home and home. Um, I mean, we had, we had a, a very solid team, but we had players who most of them all thought they were going to go to the NBA. Um, and that's most my first experience about, about that. I actually, believe it or not, Nick, have, uh, I think it was maybe five games in, um, I quit. I decided to quit there. I just didn't enjoy it anymore. What was, uh-huh. so, what was so tough about it? I just, everything that I believed in wasn't happening. You know, um, we get to the point, you know, end of practice, we would do our running. And all of a sudden, you know, this player and that player and this player, oh, my leg hurts, oh, my thigh, you know, all that stuff. And so they wouldn't run. And it just became more of a me instead of a we team. And I just, I just didn't enjoy it anymore. Um, I remember I, and at the time, I think it was four or five games. I was averaging 13, 14 a game at 20 against Fresno State. I had a pretty good game against them. Um, I just didn't enjoy it and sat down, talked with my, my buddy who played there, talked to other people and let me know, you know, you're not a quitter, finish it out. Um, and I did. I finished that year out. Um, I think we were a little bit over 500, but we were good enough to win the league. But we, if I remember right, and I, it's such a long time ago. I think we might have lost five league games. I think we went five and five. And it might have been by two, 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 one, three, something like that. They were all pretty close. But we had the talent to win it all. But we just didn't play together. Did you – so you finished out your junior year. Then did you retire, retire from playing, or did you play your senior year elsewhere? How did that go? Um, right after my junior year, I had my second operation on my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some feet problems. And I still remember um, the coaching staff coming to me and saying, hey, we're – you know, we're going to honor your scholarship, but we're bringing in a guy named Milt Henderson. I think you know who Milt is. Bakersfield. Milt down at Bakersfield. His son was JR, ended up playing at UCLA mm-hmm. and so forth. So Milt was coming back. He was a Division One kickback. Mm-hmm. So he was coming back. Um, and so, um, you know, just pers- me typically. And again, I was out for three and a half, four months with the surgery afterwards. And I said, you know, I'll be back. I um, appreciate you having let me have my scholarship, but I'm, I'm coming out. I'm not, you know. So, again, I came back out the following year, uh, went through almost the same stuff that we did the year before, even though we had some people graduate. Uh, but I wasn't going to quit. Played my, as hard as I could. Um, they gave Milt the spot to start with. And then um, coach was just a different coach. Um, kind of whatever certain players would say. You know, I was never one to, to be much of a of a problem or or say different things. And uh, end up starting again. Um, came back, and I think I still have the all time assist record for one. I think I had 17 assists in one game. Wow. Um, and you know, I was never like I said, I was never a great player. I just you know, both years I was defensive player. Of the for the team and so forth, but I would play my butt off. And I still remember my dad telling me because he used to get pissed at me, and you know he he would come in and gotta remember. I, I and that's something I really appreciate about my dad. At the time, I was junior at Cal State Bakersfield. I had a brother playing at Cal State Chico, 
Mm-hmm. I had a brother playing in high school, and I had a brother playing in junior college all at the same time. You know, and then my last brother was playing it in um, when I was, yeah. So we had the four of us, one one and two at universities, one in junior college, one in college. And my dad probably caught 17, 18, maybe 19 games a year of mine. I mean, he had his schedule, you know, Monday night he'd be there, Tuesday he'd be there. And I still remember, and I was really, really kind of neat to see him there. So we would talk a lot after games and, I get pissed because this guy doesn't play any defense or whatever. And he turned around to me and said, you don't play any offense. All you do is come down, pass the ball, and you let them play offense. You only play in half the game. You know, so how do you get mad at them? Because they're playing in one half. It made me think, you know. But, uh, no, it was, again, at the time, I didn't – I loved my experience at Bakersfield. It was a great experience. It taught me an awful lot about life, taught me a lot about coaching, probably made me the coach who I am today. Um, but the negatives of, of learning uh, about, you know, with some of the players I played with, because they were good people, they just weren't instructed in, in the way to do what the way I would, I would have them do it nowadays. And the two coaches, I still remember, Pat Winnett and Leroy, they were both very good people. But just not the discipline wasn't there, and that you know the structure wasn't there, the culture wasn't there, and I think that taught me an awful lot how to have that for the following years. So you you learned more, maybe what I'm hearing, you learned more kind of in the the tougher times than you did when things were maybe a little bit easier or things were ran a little bit better. So you 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 finished up at Bakersfield, and then you went right into coaching. Uh, what is it that made you, you said you wanted to be a, a PE coach and a coach in junior high. Uh, what is it that made you want to get into high school and what opportunities were presented for you right away? Well, I wanted to, I definitely want to be getting into coaching right away. I wanted to be a PE teacher and a coach. That was always something I wanted to do. Um, when, when I finished my last year at Bakersfield, I entered for the student, the, the teaching program down there. And I think my GPA was like 3-2, 3-3 in that area right there. And I still remember trying to get into the teaching program down there, and I was denied. Um, and it really kind of hit me. You know, I found out later on, a little politics with one of, the peop- one of the people running the program and so forth, is at the time, Garces High School actually had a varsity job open. Mm-hmm. I just finished graduating. Um, and so they said, hey, get into an internship, or get into a program, get yourself going, we'll see what happens. So as soon as I graduated, we were on quarters down there, it was mid-June, late June, you know, like June 20th, somewhere in there. I went, I looked it up, I went to Cal Lutheran. Mm-hmm. I took four classes that summer. I still remember, boy, you're talking about being cramped. It was eight weeks, and they were each two hours a day classes. So I was in there for eight hours a day, plus the homework. At the time, um, I was with my girlfriend. Later on, I became my wife. Um, my wife, Rose, they lived in an apartment in Redondo Beach. Oh. And I was driving to Cal Lutheran, mm-hmm. you know, Thousand Oaks each day. And I was about a good hour plus drive. And I, after a week, I just couldn't do it. So I still remember I rented a little cubicle, little dorm room, a little place i stayed there then went back on the weekends went back to roses um 
finished, got my four classes done, went back to Garces, and they hired actually a teammate of mine, Mark Brown, got the job, and I didn't get it. Um, but it helped me because it got me going on to my teaching credential. So from there, I um, went back up to my old stomping grounds, went back to uh, Monta Vista. My um, high school coach retired at the time. The varsity coach there was Eric Paulson. And I asked Eric, I said, I'm going to do student teaching here. Um, I got in a program there at College of Notre Dame up, up in Belmont. And uh, so I, I coached CD basketball. Most people don't know what that is. In the fall, then I coached varsity. Uh, I was a head freshman coach and a varsity assistant. So what that was is we practiced as the freshman team. I would practice at 530 uh, to 7 in the morning. Uh, that's when our practices were. And then uh, I would help the varsity out at the school. Mm -hmm. uh, in the fall, CD basketball, for those that don't know it, back then there wasn't, you know, Title IX was starting to come in. But there's the girls' sports were not. So what they had for boys in the fall is if you were five, six and under, you played D basketball. If you were five, six to five, nine, you could play C's. Hmm. So they had more basketball for kids that could play. But you couldn't play CDs plus freshmen or CDs plus JVs. Just it just gave the smaller kids a chance to play. And in our area, it kind of gave a lot of the minorities, a lot of the Asians who weren't didn't grow to be as tall, gave them a chance to play. Hmm. And um so I came back, I coached um, D-basketball, and then I was a freshman and a varsity assistant. And then three weeks into the school year, there was an internship that opened up um, over at Mountain View High School. Um, actually, there was a job, a full-time job that opened up at Mountain View. I interviewed for that. I didn't get the job. They gave it to actually one of my uh, ex-teammate, not teammate, but classmates at Monte Vista, Jeff Mueller. Um, who was a football coach at the time, they gave him that full-time job over there. Um, something happened to one of the PE teachers, and then there was two periods that opened up. And then I still remember late uh, late September that year, they opened up. I got the, the two periods. So I, had a, I did two periods of internship where they were mine, and I did a third period there as a student teacher. So I actually did my student teaching and my teaching over at Mountain View, went back and coached at, at um, Monte Vista. And then in the spring, I actually coached girls track for Mountain View. And that was my first year of game, right out of college, right into it. So I see here, uh, you've co you coached it at four high schools before you got the Clovis West job, Monte Vista, James Logan, Los Altos in Northern California, Newark Memorial. So you bounced around a little bit. What did you learn being in places for a couple of years and, how did you take that, all that stuff with you to where you eventually kind of popped at the Clovis West job? Well, what happened for those things back then, see, to, to be a full-time PE teacher back then was really, really tough. Mm -hmm. um, my, you know, my student teaching was at Monta Vista. My first job was at Mountain View High School. Mm -hmm. At the end of that first year, they let me go. They were going to let me go. And the teachers in the department went to the principal. The principal says, I can't do anything. They went to the superintendent, Paul Sakamoto, and they said, hey, you need to keep this guy. Wow. And it was very nice of them to do that. Um, so what happened is Paul told, um, went to the principal and said, find a way to keep him. Because I was actually at the end of my first year, Homestead High School offered me a, a, a coaching basketball, the head varsity job 
at Homestead, which was a, a decent high school, always a very, you know, pretty darn good high school. But I had to go, I had to go get back and get my special ed credential to be a teacher over there. They were going to let me be an intern and do that there. So Mountain View came back and um, after they heard I was going to go there, they went above the principal superintendent said, hire him. So they gave me a full-time PE job at Mountain View. So I took a program the last two years that were one in 20, one in 41, the first, the two years before I got there. Wow. The 25 years before I was there, Nick, they never made, got it to 500. So my first two years at Mountain View, we went, I still remember we went five and 16. My second year, we went 11 and 11. Um, and we had four starters coming back. But then they closed the high school. Oh. Um, we went from three high schools down to two. Back then it was Mountain View, AWOL, and Los Altos. They closed Old Mountain View and renamed AWOL Mountain View. It was the two towns were Mountain View and Los Altos right there. So Los Al So I ended up, a couple of my kids went to Mountain View, a couple went to Los Altos, and I actually ended up going to Los Altos. So I was at Los Altos, I believe, I think it was two years, maybe three, two or three. I, I can't remember. And then um, when Prop 13 hit and all that, um, now they they had to cut PE teachers. Uh, they had to cut uh, teachers. So they cut PE from three years to two. I was by far the low man on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. So they actually, were, they actually let me go. Um, so I was let go at that time. I believe I was by the 26, 27 at the time. Five years in, um, and it was tough, you know. Here, I think we had one kid, we had another, another one on the way. My wife was a nurse, um, and so what happened then? Maybe we just had, I think we just had one. I mean, I just got married, I honestly I can't remember. So, what happened is James Logan had an opening mm -hmm. on the other side of the base, so I went over, interviewed at James Logan. They hired me right away as the PE department head and the badminton coach. They just hired a basketball coach the year before. And I was going to be the uh, varsity assistant in basketball. And this is after being a, you know, the head coach for four or five years over, uh, actually for four years, because my first year I wasn't, um, no, five years. Um, so I was a varsity assistant in basketball, the PE department head and the head badminton coach. And, um, so it was, it was kind of, you know, definitely a new experience, other side of the bay for us. Um, so we went, I remember we, you know, Rose and myself, we bought a house in Union City, started that whole process over there. And then uh, after being at Union City for a year, you know, um, the, the basketball coach there, Will Biggs, I still remember Will. Um, I might have been the first month after the first month he's, he fired me. Said, I don't want you on the staff. Um, different personality, different, you know, Will was different. And I'm his boss during the day. Our desks were right across from each other. Um, I remember, I, you know, because I was just, I was the go-getter. I want to know what to do, what he's going to do. And I asked Will, I still remember this day, I asked Will, you know, you got any, you know, stats from last year? Do you have folders on anything? And, you know, whatever. And I remember he opened up his desk or took a folder out, put it on my desk. Here's what I got. It was an empty folder. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it is, you know, you got to take who you have, what you felt like. So um, I remember at that point, 
I went to my principal and I told my principal, look, um, this could be my last year here. Part of the reason, the only reason I came is I wanted to coach basketball. Um, at the time, Carol Williams uh, gave me a call um, to be a, 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 he was at Santa Clara, the head coach at the time. And I had a chance to be a graduate assistant there, but I had to be there by 2.30 every day to help him out. And the school wouldn't release me. So I couldn't do that. And so I was at James Logan for one year. At the end of the school year, uh, Nuka Morrow was in their league, opened up, and I was lucky enough, interviewed, and I got that job. And that's actually where I coached Tim, Tony, and Ty Amerson, the Amerson brothers. It's interesting as I as I hear your your life story here. Lots of lots of adversity, you know. Was not growing up the best athlete, um, late bloomer in high school, um, sat a lot as a freshman in junior college, had a up and down year or up and down time at Bakersfield with injuries, um, let go, uh, fired, um, jobs dissolving, interviewing for jobs or thinking you're going to get a job, they give it to somebody else. And yet you didn't give up. And, you know, you kept your perseverance. And I think about the kids we work with today. And I wonder how many, you know, would, would still stick to it as, as much as you have. Where do you think that came from, that perseverance and that, you know, confidence in yourself to where you just knew you were going to be you, you, what you wanted and nothing was going to get in your way? Well, I love the, I, I love teaching and I love coaching. And nobody was going to take that away from me. If I had to find a different spot, I'd find a different spot. Um, yeah, it was ups and downs, but I honestly never thought of it that way. It's just, you know, you know, things happen. You know, they cut PE at this school. You got to go there. You know, you try to do it here. They didn't like it. It never really bothered me. I just, I knew I was going to find something. Nothing was going to stop me from becoming a PE teacher and a coach that I wanted to be, become. I was always, you know, driven. Um, my Again, I'll go back to my parents. You know, nothing ever came easy for them. Mm -hmm. And they kind of put that on us, you know, um, do the best you can. You know, I've always was a big no excuse guy, just find a way to get it done. And then the other thing I think really helped me, I always wanted to get better every year. And mm -hmm. I think that was one thing that really kind of stood out for me is how do I make myself better from last year to this year? And I would say probably one of the best things I ever did, Nick, was I believe it was 1987. In 87, I decided to go see uh, Bobby Knight. I wrote him a letter and said, hey, um, do you mind if I come watch a week of your practice? I get a, a response back says, no problem. And I paid for it myself, everything. Um, and I did that for many years, from 87 all the way to actually, all the way through junior college until I became a Division One head coach. And I learned an awful lot watching these different coaches you know, what they would do. I used to go back October 15th, the first five days of their practices. Mm -hmm. and I would spend a week with them, see what they did on the floor, see what they did in the weight room. You know, some coaches were nice enough to let me in some of their meetings. Some coaches were nice enough. I went to dinner with them and we would talk and so forth. It was a heck of experience for me. And I think that's part of the reason why I try to help so many different coaches. But I, I never thought of it as adversity, never thought of it as failing. Um, I know my first year we were five and 16 coach when I was at Mountain View. And I know the people there were excited at what we did. Mm -hmm. Me, it was a failure. We, you know, for me to be five and 16, it, it almost killed me. Um, that was where 
I decided, I still remember we were five and 16 that first year. And I talked to my players that were coming back afterwards. And that's where I decided to work out every morning before school. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old. And we said, let's do it. And I still remember um, two of the kids being religious coming every morning. We had two kids that came every morning at 630 in the morning. I mean, at the most, at four or five at the most any morning. You know, when I got to Clovis West, when I left Clovis West, we would have 35, 40 kids every morning in that gym at 630. Mm -hmm. So it took, I knew it was going to take time to build it. Um, I remember the first game I coached at Mountain View. I think we were down, we were playing Balboa, San Francisco up there. And I think we were down 39 at halftime. Uh, just wow. our butts ripped, you know. But it's just, again, for me, it was a learning process. So you talked about a little bit about your learning process and how you learn from other coaches. And I've known you for a few years now. And I, in my personal opinion, your, your greatest gift as a coach is your ability, you're, you're such an innovator and you see things differently and you see things outside the box and, and you just, the way you come up with stuff, even our last conversation about things you're going to do or maybe think can do with the virus going on with your team. Just, you know, I, I don't know how many people think like that. Where do you think that innovative mind came from? Where, where do you think it developed where everyone sees something and you see the same thing, but you see it completely backwards? Um, I, I think it came from visiting all those coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see all those coaches, you take a lot of notes. You know, the thing you can't do is try to think you're going to emulate them because they're at a whole different level. They, you know, and you have so many different notes. But I always try to, to see you know, what was one or two things, and I, and I said earlier, that we can make our team better. Because mm -hmm. I can't, you can't do 10, 11, 12 different things. You know, um, you know, people talk about the dribble drive and all this. I still feel I'm a better defensive coach than I was an offensive coach. The defense actually created the offense. For me, it was how, you know, I have very few beliefs, but one of them is, you know, nobody's ever going to outwork me. The day somebody outworks me, the day I, I be start to become lazy is when I stop. You know, I just finished my 42nd year. I still get to school between 5.30, quarter six each morning. We still work out at 6.30 each morning. When I stop doing that is when I stop coaching. Mm -hmm. And it's just so that the, the working hard and now taking the next step of working hard, how not only working hard, working smart, how can we get better what little things do we see and I think a lot of for me I look I see things from different angles mm -hmm. you know a lot of people may look at it this way I think the game of basketball is really angles you look at it, almost all the games when you play tennis you play badminton you play racquetball you play those it's all angles on how good you can become and I think with basketball I try to look at it the same way what angles what are the angles of scoring you know, everybody's thinking you're coming in one way. I want to try and come every different way that you can come at. Uh, and that's all. I'm just trying to get better every year. So you finally now, you, you, you finished at Newark Memorial, and you got hired at Clovis West. And that's where I think your career really took off as a high school coach. Can you talk about that process of getting hired and what it was like joining Clovis Unified? Um, nothing I've ever seen, nothing I've ever done. Um, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's a heck of a story how I got hired at Clovis West. I started um, at the end of my fifth year at Newark Memorial, the AD job opened. Mm -hmm. 
And the football coach there, who was there before I was, very good football coach, his name was Rich Swift, and myself both went for the athletic director job. And Rich and myself never, you know, I would say probably it might be three or four people that I've dealt with in my whole life where I can say, I don't think they're good people. Um, mm -hmm. I, I get along with quite a few people. Mm -hmm. uh, Rich was a person I didn't think was a good person. Um, we fought from the first time. Because as soon as I got hired there, he tried to keep his football players from playing basketball during the summer. And I, it's something I, I was totally against. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a battle from day one. So end up, the two of us went for the job. Principal called me and said, Vance, I want you to let you know, you know, Rich has you know, been here longer. He's the AD. I mean, he's the head football coach, head wrestling coach. We're going to go with him as the AD. I said, I just don't remember telling him. I said, no problem. I just, so you know, as soon as I can, I will be gone. I'm going to find a different job. I'm not staying here with Rich. And he said, you know, do me a favor. At least go to lunch with Rich. You know, let him talk to you. Went to lunch with Rich and told Rich the same thing. I said, Rich, look, for five years, you do things completely different from the way I do them. I don't like the way you treat kids. I don't like the way you treated myself and my staff. I said, I'm not going to be here. So um, a buddy of mine who was at San Ramon, his name was John Rayner. John gave me a call and said, hey, Vance, I hear this job down in Fresno. It's called Clovis West High School. It's open. And at the time, the Bay Area housing was so so expensive. Mm -hmm. We bought, Rose and myself bought our house at the time for 140 At the time, when we bought 140 it was in Union City, a small lot, 1,800 square foot house. Well, in five years, it jumped up to 340 Wow. And now we went from one kid to four kids, and the house wasn't big enough for us. So the house we needed was almost seven, you know, 600, 700,000 that we wanted to try to get into. Um, so I, Got a number, and I still remember I called Dennis Lindsay up, and he was the AD at the time, um, very, very successful athletic director um, in athletics down here at Clovis West and Clovis Unified. And I still remember Dennis saying, I just want you to know the job closed on Friday. Um, why should we even look at you? And off the cuff, I just said, well, you're not going to find anybody better. <laughs> you know, if you know Dennis Lindsay, that kind of intrigued Dennis. Mm -hmm just the way Dennis was, you know. So I had an opportunity. I turned all my stuff in. I remember I came down for my first interview. Jose Hernandez was in it, who ended up being, you know, son ended up playing for me, and we're very good friends. He's actually a coach of my staff uh, for a long, long time. He was a very successful girls coach. Jose was in it with Lynn Austin, Snoffer, and some different people. I made it through the first interview. Came back down, I think, a week later for the next interview. And I had my four kids in the car. And uh, Rose and myself, we came down. And it was a three-hour interview with just the principal and myself. Three straight hours. And it was a hot day on that day. And I remember Rose going into the office, brought the kids in because they were so out there and asked her if she could get some water. And they didn't know she was out in the car and so forth. And you can imagine, you know, I got a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year, uh, one, two, four, and five-year-old all in the car. And, you know, they're, you know, cute kids. And you got Rose and all the secretaries love the kids. They were, they were probably one of the reasons why I got the job. So I get down with that. And Jerry said, you know, we're going to make a decision in the next couple of days. Well, I don't hear from them for over a week. 
They didn't give me the job. They offered the job. I, I didn't get the job. They gave the job to Dell Bayshore. Dell, the coach at Sanger High School. Um, so they offered job, the, the job to Dell. The three finalists, I believe, were Dell, myself, and um, uh, God, what was it? Uh, uh, Albion Kalana, who won a couple of state championships at the time at Washington Union. Dell was very successful playing the NBA. Was a good coach, very good coach at Sanger. Al was very successful in the area, um, so they gave the job to Dell. Dell pondered on it, then the last second decided to back out um, a week later. So after you know they were going to call me, I thought I was done, didn't have a chance. They gave me a call, came back, talked with them again, and then um, went through the rest of the interview process. You know, with Dan Kaiser, who was the above during McDonald. Fugman, and then got my chance to meet Doc Buchanan, which was awesome. So you get the job, and you start to build a program um, from the ground up. And the culture, the identity, um, you start to get your style of play in there. How did you How did you build that culture with the kids? And, and you know, for high school coaches or coaches out there, what are some tips and tricks that you had to get that stuff to work from the beginning? Um. Again, Nick, I remember I got the job. Um, you got they used to have a spring league down here mm-hmm. on Saturdays. Um, so I drove down on Saturday to watch the spring league. I would drive. I drove down from the because I was still. Yeah, I didn't when I got the job. I got it for the following year. So I was still finishing up at New Memorial. Right. I drove down Mondays and Wednesday nights. I would drive down from the Bay Area. It was about a three hour drive. To, do a workout with the kids for two hours and then drive back. So I did that just to start. I wanted to see the kids. I wanted to meet the kids. I wanted them to know, look, if I'm willing to drive three hours each way, I expect you guys to be there and give me your best you can. And just from day one, if if there's a few things, if I would tell anybody, never cheat your players. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said it earlier, when I – I have never missed a practice in my life yet for being sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, 42 years of coaching, I've never missed a practice for being sick. I missed it when my mother died. I missed it when I had surgery one time. Those were the only times that I can remember ever missing practice. Is either I was in the hospital or you know, when my mother passed away. Um, I always felt, and it's crazy to go 42 years and never miss a practice of not being sick. I just, now when the season was over, I would be run down, you know, in my body, I could feel it. All I needed was one or two days and I was good to go. Uh, but the culture I wanted to develop with them is that we were going to be the hardest working team around. Nobody was going to outwork us. Nobody was going to play harder than us. I've been in all my years. We always would go one, two, three, and it would be hustle. I'll never change that. It's just what I believe in. We're going to play as hard as we can. Um, and just how I, I was. I mean, I I gave them the best I could. I would never cheat them. I expect I never expect them to cheat at me uh, on a practice. When we cross those lines on practice, I expect shirts tucked in. I know it's old-fashioned and so forth, but I expect them tucked in. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just some of the little things I, I would expect with the kids. Not a lot. Um, just do the best you can and, and always be you know be there for your teammates. Don't let your teammates down. So, and you touched on it, and, and I, I tend to agree with you. You're you're known for being this this brilliant offensive guy, uh, but watching you work and watching you practice, it's very defensive oriented. 
So how then did you build your style of play? Because I, I believe it wasn't still all put together yet. How did you build your style of play, you know, from, from the beginning here at Clovis West? Well, I go back and, you know, I had some really good players when I was at Newark Memorial. I had the Amazon brothers and I had a lot of really good guards. I mean, I wish I knew about the dribble drive at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was running a lot of flex, a lot of set plays, because that was the, you know, flex was a big thing in that area with Carol Williams being in Santa Clara. When I got to Clovis West, um, we were, you know, we were 2 2 1 pressing. I still love, I always want, I love pressing. I love putting pressure on people, still running flex, still running set plays. Mm-hmm. And then little by little, like I told you, I would see a different coach each time. Um, I forget what year I went to see Nolan Richardson. Nolan had the 40 minutes of hell at Arkansas, had a, just a, just a tremendous coach, a tremendous person. You know, I remember sitting down and talking with Nolan and just, you know, let me ask him different things and, you know, what his beliefs were and so forth. And so I kind of came back and kind of changed my press a little bit. And then I got to the point where I started to press off of misses and that kind of changed things. Um, you know that where we live in in Fresno, you're in Central California. You're not going to get the athletes that you see down in LA. You can't even come close to them. Yeah. You know, um, I remember. You know, we're here in Fresno. I go down. I wanted to get better and better. You know, the, I didn't feel the competition in Fresno was good enough. I remember I got in trouble when I pulled our teams out of playing in the local tournaments. You know, we used to play in the HIT, the Sanger tournament, the Clovis Elks tournament, and so forth. These different ones. Well, I only stayed, I went out of the area for most of the tournaments except for the HIT. And I remember getting in trouble for that, but I just kept telling my athletic director, I said, look, Dennis, we're not going to get to where we want to be playing the same people in this town. We got to go down and play, the, the, you know, because we were in the South. If we don't get a chance, I remember going down playing against the O'Banion brothers and Abandre Jones in summer league, and we're down 40 at halftime. Mm-hmm. Just getting our butts ripped. And so I'm trying to figure out how can we, survive and get a chance to be able to beat those teams or at least stay with those teams, you know? And so, and I always felt the equalizer was the press. I really did. Um, I think, you know, and I know most players love to play free, but God, they can't stand anybody in their grill all the time. That's mm-hmm. one of the most frustrating things that you're a good point guard. I know I was a point guard, nothing worse than having just a little son of a gun, just in my grill all the time, bringing the ball up, turning left, turning right. So I was, that was always in the back of my mind. So when we all of a sudden started pressing on misses, now we really had something that a lot of the people don't do or didn't do, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. Very few people ever practice against, a, you know, press, you know, tell me how many times you practice against, you know, somebody that's going to press right. you yeah. when you miss. Yeah. Right. And what I've, finally understood about that is it took the coaching away from the other coach a lot of coaches you come down the court they would say hey run this run that you know they'd be calling the plays out well you couldn't do it against us because if they look to the left to the coach or look to the right so we're stealing the ball there's so much pressure on them so it really kind of changed the game and when we went from pressing on a miss and we went from what I call vertical traps anytime the ball went vertical we went from trap to trap we couldn't run our regular you know, the first couple of years I started doing this, you know, we would work on the press and then stop pressing and then work on our half court defense. And then I try and say to myself, well, that's not very smart, you know. And then so what the press actually did is teach me how to space the floor, how to open gaps up. And actually the press really created the offense. 
Mm -hmm. So you started to piece it together from the defense. Then from that, this dribble drive or the AASAA offense, as you, as you called it was born. How did you start to get the angles, as you said, and, and, the and the, the format and the structure of that offense? Really simple at the time, you know, it was a, the late nineties, I, you know, and I think most of us are the same, very few, you know, in my, in our era, very few years, I've had really good big men. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times you'd be lucky if you got a six, three, six, four kid playing inside. Then on top of that, um, your best player was usually a guard. Your second best was a guard or a wing. You know, maybe your best player at the time might have, for me, was maybe my fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh best player on the team. Mm-hmm. Yet, back then, tradition was you come down three out, two in, or you come down four out, one in, and your post was always strong side. Mm-hmm. And I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had guards that could beat their players pretty good at the time. Because, you know, I've been at the school, you know, let me see. At the time when when my son was a freshman, Chris Hernandez and Tyrone were freshmen. I had a special group I knew coming in. And, you know, because I had them since first grade. Mm-hmm. So I've had them for, you know, starting their ninth year. I've had these kids. Now they're coming in. They can handle the ball. They can shoot it. So I, at the, the first part of the offense was I took the post and put them on the weak side. Just because the kid I had, Chris Hernandez and Tyrone Jackson, and I had some other really good guards, they could beat their guys, get to the rack, but they beat him, and all of a sudden the post is in the way. Yeah. So it didn't take a genius to figure out, let's get him on the other side. Now, how dumb I was at the time, I went with the four out, and my two guards were up top, and my two wings were free throw line extended. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at the time about the gaps, you know, again, just putting things together. Because the kid I had, Chris and Tyrone up top, they could beat their guys easy. Yeah. They could beat them in a single gap. Well, when Chris and Tyrone graduated, the next point guard I had couldn't beat that single gap up top. So that made me realize, let's take the wings and slide them to the corners. So now we have a double gap up top. I got a single gap one way, double gap the other way. Then I started to figure out, well, what's the best of three out? The best of three out is that you have bigger gaps. Instead mm-hmm. of a four out. Well, what's the best of a four out? Well, the best thing about a four out, and it for me was you had an open post. So then I figure out why not be selfish? Let's take the best of both of those. So instead of having a four out one in or three out two in, let's have a four out with one man in motion. So when that man, one of those guards up top would cut through, that gave me a triple gap one way, a double gap another way. And whichever way I drove, that guy that cut through would come out the other way, and that would give me my space and my gaps, and it still would give me a, a single post. And that was just little by little how the offense evolved, where we put their feet, where the two-man goes, where the three-man goes, all those things, how we move the, the shoulders, and then where do we put the feet of what we call the dunker, our post guy down below. All those things have changed through the years, and they will change again. Mm-hmm. But the concepts will never change. The three concepts of the attack mentality, the, the concept of, you know, attacking, opening the gaps, and then how do we space once we attack those gaps. Um, way back in the late, uh, it might have been maybe mid-90s, 96, 97, I forget when, 
we had we had a team that lost to another team in our area. We lost to Hoover twice that year, um, once by 16, I think once by 20. Now we're playing them at their place in the playoffs. And uh, Ron Moore was a coach who's a very successful, very well-known coach in the area. Um, was old-fashioned in the way he was going to play straight man-to-man, only going to play his best players. You know, he's going to play five, six, maybe six and a half players at the most. So we lost to him twice that year, playing him in the playoffs at their place. So in my mind, I told my kids, look, we're not taking one outside shot the whole half. We'll figure out at halftime what's going on, what we're going to do. We're not shooting one three. We're not shooting one pull up. We're not doing anything, but we're going to attack that rack the whole game. You can't beat it. You pass, you cut, next guy goes. That was kind of part of how the dribble drive and me kind of started thinking about it. Well, we ended up being up by 20 at halftime, ended up winning by 28 to a team that we got beat earlier. You know, this all we did the whole game. We didn't take one outside shot the whole game. We just went to the rack, to the rack, to the rack. Now, obviously, you can't do that the whole game. But that was kind of the concept of me thinking, well, maybe we should get this attack mentality more instead of settling for pull-ups, instead of settling for threes all the time. And that was also an evolution into how the offense came about. One of the things that you were the first, one of the first, or maybe the first person who was against the pull-up in the mid-range shot. You touched a little bit on that in the Hoover game. Um, how did you, were there other instances and where that came from? And how did that begin to develop? Because now that that's commonplace. It still isn't completely accepted, but it's much more commonplace now than it ever was back then. No, back then it, it freaked out a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> I know, you know, I had a lot of the coaches saying that's not the right way to play. You know, the way you're pressing and scrambling around and just shooting threes and going with a rack. And there's, you know, I can't tell how many coaches did not like it. I thought it was the wrong way of playing. Um, for me, what I was looking at, why not be greedy? Why not to try and get three points on every shot we take? Mm-hmm. And I felt a pull-up jumper, you know, unless you were guarded by a dummy, you know, you, most times you're not going to get fouled on the pull-up. I wanted the old-fashioned and one or the open three. So I wanted to try and get three points. That was, that was really what started, you know, one of the things that started. And that's what we went to. I mean, I can show you games back then where we would take 65 shots. And you might see one or two shots that were maybe six feet from the rim. They were all pounded inside reach. And all of a sudden, we started doing that. Now, obviously, it helped. I had Chris Hernandez, Tyrone Jackson. I had really good players at the time. But we go on a nine-year run where we're, I think it was like 292 and 29 mm-hmm. in nine years. I mean, we're – and, it, again, it wasn't just the dribble drive. It was having these guys for a long time. But for the years of junior college, it's not like I had them for a long time. But the, But you could just see all the little things – of running something that nobody else ran at the time where I kind of had the advantage of it. Um, And then each year things would change because my players, because you play, you let them play so much out of this. And that's where a lot of coaches had a hard time with me because they would watch the game and I'm not calling out plays. I'm just letting them go. And they don't think there's a lot of coaching being done yet. You know, and I know the coaching 
for what we do comes in practice, mm -hmm. the game, I want them to go. I don't want them looking at me. I want them to be able to create on their own. Now, I, dead balls, ATOs, free throws, whatever else, we might definitely call some plays. But otherwise, I want them to learn how to play on their own. And it kind of, I think, kind of took people by storm. I, I think a lot of people didn't understand what we were doing. Um, I also know Nick, when I would watch the other team warm up and shoot a lot of 15-footers in their warm-ups, I always felt like the advantage was going to be ours. I'm not saying we won all the time, but I felt the advantage was going to be ours. And then through the years, the press, the pressure, the, the, you know, and what people didn't realize, we were putting pressure on people on both sides of the ball. You know, you come down, you pass, pass, pass. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on you on defense. But now you come down, you're attacking somebody off that dribble every time. As soon as you miss it, you're pressing. As soon as you make it, you're pressing. Dead ball, you're pressing. We never let anybody, my mind was never let anybody have a chance to relax or catch their breath. I wanted to wear them down. And um, I thought we did a pretty good job most of the time doing that. We well, did a really good job. And you mentioned your record over 90% of the games you won. Uh, you traveled year round to play against the best competitions as well with those wins. Uh, 11 Valley Championship games in your 17 years, seven uh, uh, eight Valley Championships. Before we get off of Clovis West, uh, I really think our, 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 our listeners would, would be interested in hearing if you could name the top Clovis West players that you coached. Uh, I would like a, a starting five, but if you don't, you don't have to do that. And it doesn't have to be five. If you need to put six or seven in there, you can do that. But who would be the best players that you've coached during your 17 years of tenure uh, at Clovis West? Boy. You're putting me in a real tough spot. I hate doing anything like that because I'll miss somebody through the years. Um, I, you know, I'll go with the best. The best was Chris Hernandez. Um, Chris didn't score as many as, many as other people, but all around, um, Chris was just a stud. Mm -hmm. 4.0 student. Um, you know, as a junior in high school, he was benching 325 as mm. a junior. Wow. Wayne, one, Wayne 172. Uh, just his toughness, his ferocity, his tenacity. Um, and right along with him, Tyrone Jackson was in that same team. Uh, T and Chris are definitely, I would say, up, up probably in that top five, seven, whatever you have. Um, I felt the kid who changed our whole program was a player named Nathan Fast. Mm -hmm. Nathan um, got us our first – um, not our first section championship, but our first time that we ever got a chance to go down and we played for the Southern State Championship. We, you know, the three times when we were in the South, we played for this, you know, for the Southern State Championship. Mm -hmm. That final game to get to the state was modern day, modern day, modern day. You know enough about them. Yeah. You know? So the first time they just kicked our butt. Um, but we beat Corey Benjamin that year in Fontana. We beat Willie West and and Crenshaw down on their court. And then we ended up uh, at the, I think it was at the pond or one of those places we lost. We got beat by 28 to uh, modern day. Then we came back, beat modern day. And then we ended up losing to modern day and back to back years in 01 and 02. Um, so Chris and Tyrone, Nathan, uh, my early years, I had Josh Matson and, and Jeff Morgenstern and Joey Wells, three really good players that kind of got things going. Um, I have, a player right now is named Cole Anderson. Mm -hmm. um, Cole is a junior. I've never had a kid do this. 
uh, he's the MVP of the league for three straight years. He was co-MVP his freshman year, MVP the last two years. You know, Chris was MVP his junior and senior year. So Cole is obviously a very special uh, talent, can shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, he's 80 some odd points away from setting the school record in scoring. And he has his whole senior year to go. Um, very special offensive player. I just need to get Cole to get better on the defensive side. <laughs> Uh, and that's what I think separated Chris from a lot of people. Chris, as good as he was offensively, he only averaged 17 plus points a game, but he was so good defensively. Um, and he was just that both him and Tyrone, I think average 17. They were just both very good defensive players. I'm sure I'm missing a few others. Um, but I would say those are the ones. Uh, God, I mean, I had some, you talk about success stories. I had kid Brady Wilburn played JVs for me as a junior, was MVP of the league as a senior in one year, went from a JV player to the MVP of the league. Wow. Um, just different success stories like that. Well, with all the, the, the great teams that you've had, each one of those teams had numerous great players. So I'm sure that there's some other guys that would come to mind. And if they, you can mention them at any time, but I thought that was fun. Um, so now you go to Fresno City, and you go there and you take off right away. You've got your style down. Um, you got, you know, you're becoming, you know, the, the coach that you are today. You have all that stuff. Um, you go 133 uh, and 11 in four years, uh, win a, a state championship, and including in a perfect season. Uh, what did you learn in coaching adults? Because you, after that, you spent many years coaching adults versus coaching high school kids. What did you learn coaching high school kids versus adults and starting a college program versus a high school program? It was really different. Um, you know, when I was at Clovis West, we're upper middle. So mm -hmm. I got targeted as, well, here's a coach that only works with white guys. Can't mm -hmm. coach African-American. I remember I had several coaches tell me that, you know, they're not going to play for you. They're not going to play that style for you and so forth. Um, and they would so say I, that to you. What? They would oh, say yeah. Wow. Yeah, hmm. definitely. Um, and, you know, those are the battles you have to go through. And I just said, look, just give the, let the kid come and see for himself. Give it a chance. Um, I remember that first year at Fresno City. Uh, I was very fortunate that I had. Uh, my son and Tyrone, I had another kid named Adam Wall, mm -hmm. who played at Central for a very good coach, ended up being one of my assistants, Lauren LeBeau. So I had three kids that played for me, um, or I was going to say two kids that played for me, another couple of kids that played the same style I played. We had a kid named Carl Lee who was coming, who sat out the year before, but played two years before that at Fresno City. So he played the year redshirted and then played. Carl was just a beast inside, 6'5", the toughest inside player I think I ever coached. Uh, we weren't tall. We were 6'5", 6'2", 6'2". My three-man was Adam at 5'10", and then my other guard was 6'1". So we went 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", 6'5", and 5'10". And I remember coaches came in that year. They would come in to watch Carl. Um, Carl had a, a very good name. And they would say, hey, God, your kids play hard. Love the way practice are. You guys do a great job, but good luck. <laughs> and I'm kind of – so I don't know anything about junior college. I, I have no clue whatsoever. I know we're pretty small, but I still think we play pretty hard and we play pretty smart. And I remember the first game we played was Contra Costa, 
and I'm looking at them and they're going six, seven, six, eight, six, seven, six, seven. I mean, they just got athletes. And we get out of the gate fast and they just can't handle the press. And I remember that first time out when we played them, I told my, I didn't even have my, I didn't even talk to them. I said, I want you to look at the other team. They're coming back and they're just pitching and moaning at one another. You know, pass the ball, get the ball. Why can't you get the ball over the half court? You know, they just couldn't handle the pressure. So at that time, I kind of felt like, you know, we got something pretty special here. Yeah. We end up, um, we go 24-0, lose our first game, our 25th game in Modesto. They beat us. Um, one of those games, we just didn't play well. Um, and I remember it's funny because my son was on the team. Jason was on the team. And I didn't. Jace was good enough to start, but I didn't start him. I want the kids to know, you know, he's going to earn it. And I told Jace, once we lose, I'll put you in a starting lineup. Hmm. So we don't lose till, till the 25th game, you know, and he's averaging 20 points a game off the bench. So he jumps in the lineup. So we end up going all the way to the state championship. We play LA City. We had three guys who go to UNLV, one to Hawaii, and one somewhere else. I mean, they had a really good team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We end up losing them in the state championship. In our first season, so we go 38 and two. Have you know, obviously a pretty darn good year, and realize that you know some of this stuff I know works. You know, mm-hmm. nobody has to convince me. And the neat thing I think of what we did is the majority of my kids, 80, 85, 90 percent of my kids were all from the local area. Mm-hmm. So what happened at Fresno City, which was kind of unique. You know, you go to most JCs, they have 50 to 100 people there. We were drawing 1,400, 1,600 people at a JC. Wow. And they loved it. And since I had so many local kids, we are getting that local flavor. And it really, for those four years, boy, we just, we had a, a really, we had a really, really good, young, yeah, uh, good run during that stretch. Um, and just little by little, the offense was being created. That's during the time when Coach Calipari uh, heard about heard about it, um, and John came out to watch my practices and so forth, and, and that's where it went from Asa to the dribble drive and so forth. But uh, it was it was a start. It was definitely a big start. One of the things that I always wondered in watching you, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, in the way you help coaches, you give all, any coach all your plays, all your drills, all your vernacular. And you'll you'll tell them exactly what you're going to do and how you do it. There's no secrets. But as many people as that do the same style as you, and as many people who have doing it for years and years, even guys who have played for you, really good players, nobody's teams look like your teams when they do it. You know what I mean? None of those teams, they all they all they they do it, but they don't look like you. Why does your team look so much different and better than everyone else who is who is I don't want to say copying, but everyone else who's doing your style? Well, go go back on that. I got bitten, and, and you know this. I like you said. I let different coaches in. John Jones, very good coach, very good friend of mine, was at Clovis High. Well, there's a lot of seasons where they would their season would end before ours, and John would come in and say, "Nancy, you mind watching practice?" And they're our rival, mm-hmm. and I had no problem. I let John in because he's good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my last year at Clovis West, they finally got us one time, and we actually had uh, played them in the Valley Championship. So doing that. Kind of sometimes will bite you in the butt, but again, I I don't mind doing it, Nick, because 
people have helped me through the years. If I didn't go see all those coaches through the years, I never would have got where I got. So I, I don't mind doing that. The reason I think we're a little bit more successful is I believe in it 100%. I know it works. Okay. I know I've done it longer than anybody else. I can see if this coach is going to do this, this is what we need to do. Uh, there's not too many things I haven't seen yet with the dribble drive. And then it's just a belief that I try to get to my players and, and I believe in myself. Nobody's going to work harder than us. And I think that's where a lot of people don't understand what we do. And it's, you know, I, there's a lot of times when we would run our press, people, coaches come up to me and tell me, you know, I would put seven players on the court to practice against you guys because that's what it felt like out there. And it's just one of my beliefs. See, a lot of coaches are going to play, try to run this, and they're going to run the press with playing just six or seven kids. Mm-hmm, they can't mm-hmm. play hard all that time. Right. You know, I'm a big believer. I think if you're in good shape, you might be able to play a minute and a half, at the most two minutes in a row being in good shape the way I want you to play. See, I always feel like there's their hard and my hard. And I felt my hard was a lot different. So you, you start out fast and have a great uh, time in junior college. Then you spend the next few years uh, in the Division I uh, college world. What did you learn then as a step from junior college to the Division I uh, players? And how did that help refine your style? Um, that, those years, those five years in Division I were probably the five hardest years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, bar none. You talk about adversity. I had adversity there. Um, my first year, you know, when, when I tried to, when I got the Pepperdine job, which was fantastic. If I knew what I knew now, back then, wow, I really wish I would have in a way, just so people could really see what the dribble drive would be like at, at that level. Um, we had a couple, we had two really good recruiting classes. Um, I, that wasn't the problem. The problem was, um, and I never realized at the time, I had, uh, I got the job in April. We went, man, we were moving. All of a sudden, summer ends. It's August 1st. The summer recruiting was done. I got one day off, and now we're going to work out uh, because we were taking our Pepperdine team to the uh, to Europe. We're going to go to France, um, uh, Switzerland, and uh, Monte Carlo, and so forth. So I had one day. I remember I took my kids to the beach. It's probably the day that I, I probably forget the most. I went boogie boarding, and I wiped out. I mean, I wiped out so bad. Um, my son pulled me out. I uh, took a wave. I went straight down. And I, I thought I was paralyzed. I, I still cringe. I still got problems from this day from that. Wow. So ended up happening. I, wiped, I mean, I black and blue with my eyes. My face was all wiped out. My shoulders were hurting. But now the next day is practice. <laughs> and I'm not going to miss it. There's no. no way in the world. So we practiced our 10 days. Coach Calipari came out. Other coaches came out to watch our practice and so forth. I'm hurting at the time. My Both my shoulders end up, uh, had torn rotators and leg bones from that. Um, we go to Europe, come back. I'm not feeling good. And the next thing I know, I'm starting to have AFib attacks. And what ended up happening, and I went to UCLA Medical probably seven, ten times. 
and they said I was fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Mm. But what they didn't know was my diaphragm got shoved up behind my heart and my diaphragm didn't work anymore uh, from that accident. And it was creating AFib. I ended up having AFib attacks at Pepperdine. It started where I was having them like once every three weeks. And then by my second year, I was having them two, three times a week. Mm. I had them during a couple games. And if you ever have an AFib attack, you know what I'm talking about. It's, you know, my heart's going between 170 to 195 per minute, beats per minute, and just getting dizzy. It, it, it was tough. And that kind of got to the point to where I felt like I couldn't coach anymore. And that was why I stepped down at Pepperdine. Uh, so I never really got to do what I really wanted to do. My first year there, they had 13, they had all 13, they had 12 scholarship kids coming back and the 13th kid they signed early. So I couldn't bring anybody in. Mm-hmm. Um, the AD told me, talk about some different stories. The AD told me, you know, you can't let go of anybody. I want you to keep everybody that's there. I'm a rookie, so you got to do what he tells you and so forth. I've always been that. Well, he doesn't tell me that two of my kids already have failed drug tests two times. So I keep everybody. I had I had a, two kids from Fresno City and one from my old high school, Corvus West, DeJohn, Tyrone Jackson's brother, DeJohn Jack, Jackson, was a pretty darn good player. Yeah. And I played in San Diego and had a very good career. Wanted to bring them with me. Well, two of those kids failed the third drug test that summer. Wow. So we lost two kids in the summertime. I had no clue. I can't see them during the summer. Um, I can't do a thing with them during the summer because that's the way the rules were and so forth. And they failed drug tests. So now we got two scholarships open. We got a starter and six man, two of my bigs out. Season begins and uh, we go, actually we go on the trip. We do very well on the trip. I have a point guard named Mike Garrity, who's actually in the NBA right now working with, he's a um, coach in the NBA. Mike was a very good point guard. He's WCC freshman of the year. Mike has, in the, in the five games, averages 20 points, 10 assists, but didn't like the style. So hmm. the season began, he quits, and our starting center, he takes with, and they, they both decided not to play because they didn't like the style. So now I'm down three starters and the backup off a team that won seven games a year before. Hmm. Couldn't bring anybody in. You know, so, okay. Now my best shooter gets hurt. And another kid gets hurt. So we ended up, it was a really tough year for me. Really, really tough. I ended up having nine wins. Had more than the year before. Um, Santa Clara was playing for the, uh, they actually had, Santa Clara the last weekend of the year had the uh, had a one-game lead on Gonzaga for the, for the league championship that year. We ended up knocking off Santa Clara. Um, one of those nights, the three went in. We shot real well, so it kind of helped. We kind of helped Gonzaga on that. So it was a tough year for me. It was real, really tough. My um, my mother ended up dying during that season. Uh, during it, uh, we went up to play Gonzaga that year. I still remember we're ready. To, um, Twenty minutes before the game, thirty minutes before the game, I get on the phone. My wife would go on the trip. She went up. She stayed home to stay with uh, went to my mother's house. My mom got on the phone because uh, my wife told me that she doesn't think she's going to make it through the night. She really took a bad turn. So I get on the phone. I'm listening to my mom. My mom's going, 
That's all I hear. So we get a butt kick. We're on, it's it's Monday night. Remember the old Monday night basketball? They used to have the three, mm-hmm. you know, we had the, the last game. So I get, after the game, I get to the airport and, and then forget to Sacramento, see my mom and she ended up passing it, you know, that the next morning. Got to see her on that. And it was just, it was just a really tough year with that and with everything else that happened. Um, so the following year, mid-January, everything, I mean, now I'm having them, the attacks during the game. So I ended up, I, I just, I, I thought I was dying. So I, I made a mistake. Um, I went in, I talked with my family about it. And they said, dad, don't do it. You know, um, there's everything you worked for, everything you wanted. But I, honestly, I couldn't sleep. It was getting to the point. And so I, I went to my AD and just said, hey, I got to step down. I should have just—I should have just taken the leave. That was a mistake I, I made. Um, so I stepped down, and it, it was a tough time for me—real, really tough time. Um, for about two months there, three months there, I don't know if I even got out of my, got out of the room. Um, I was hurting. I was aching. I wasn't sleeping. Um, then uh, Coach Cal called and said, "Hey, you know, one of our assistants, Derek Kellogg, got the UMass job." I think it'd be great, you know, why don't you go with him? He's never been a head coach. You know what to do. He wants to run the dribble drive. So I thought about it. So I ended up going with Derek to UMass, and I spent three years there with him. Um, three years. Now, this is – got to understand this, Nick. This is the first time I've ever been an assistant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, at the point now, I was 30-some-odd years as a head coach. Now I'm going to be an assistant. So I knew it would be different, but I thought maybe – and I didn't know what was wrong with me um, at the time. Doctor said I was fine, even though I was having all the AFib attacks. They just gave me pills, and after I take the pills, the AFib attacks would go would go away after about a half hour. So I went to UMass with them, um, and that's where I found out about my lung, I mean, about my diaphragm, and so forth. So, and then being with Derek, and Derek is good people, but a coach that I had, um, I respected in how good he was as a person, a good family man, but again, not the type of coach I could coach under um, just because the little things didn't believe in. Didn't understand culture, didn't understand, you know, we had we had kids, players that would do things on trips that there's no way it should be done and they still would play. Um, and so it got to the point to where there was a difference there and I had, I had, I had to step away. I had to step away. It just wasn't um, it was mutual. Um, Derek, you know, knew there was going to be problems and it was right there. And that's when I ste- ended up going to the NBA. So a lot of adversity in your time in college, but kind of like your life story, how it's played out at least today from that good things happened. And I think that, you know, in, in your, your time that me and you have spoken off this, you enjoyed your time in the NBA and you learned a lot and you got to meet a lot of really good people and have some good experiences. So, you know, what were, and you got to present your style of play on, on a global scale in the NBA. Uh, talk about, you know, how you were able to present your style of play and your offense into the NBA and how it was received and, and how it was able kind of to move forward to all of our liv- living rooms now. Well, for the NBA, it really wasn't me, Nick. It was Coach Carl. George, mm-hmm. um, during this whole time, even before I got to the NBA, I, George flew me into Denver two different times. And we went, you know, we talked about the offense. We talked about different things. 
Um, George was, I think, ahead of a lot of people in that he understood um, the three or key concept. You, mm-hmm. In the NBA, you can't just go three or key. Now, Houston's really trying to do it. So yeah. I shouldn't say you can't. Um, there's a shot clock and a lot of different things. But what George realized is that instead of maybe taking 20, 25 mid-range shots a game, let's get that in that 10 to 12 range. And once that started happening, he started seeing that his team was up at the top, if not the, you know, the scoring champions each year. So it was, and he was smart to figure that out. Um, so there's an opportunity um, for me. So when this thing happened at, at UMass, I don't, you know, and a lot of people don't even know this. My first year in the NBA, um, my wife, again, God bless her, she stayed back in Massachusetts and was an RN working. Mm-hmm. I, I did my whole first year at Denver for absolutely nothing. Wow. I didn't get paid a penny. I left Rose. That was a year, um, I believe it was a strike year for the NBA, so they started late. I left Rose back in Massachusetts. I got a one-bedroom apartment. I got an arrow bed. I slept on an arrow bed. I went online and paid $45 for a little table, two mm-hmm. chairs. I got a cardboard box, and I put my alarm clock on that, and that was it. My clothes, I just laid on the ground. Um, and I went there that whole year early in the morning. Coach Gergovich would be there. Mm-hmm. Tim Gergovich was a fantastic coach. And George would let me in there, um, be in all his meetings. You know, I would help out wherever I could. Shag balls, pass this, do that, do that. And then after the year, year um, George saw how dedicated I was and then gave me a job the second year there, you know, where I actually did get paid and so forth. Um, but that first, you know, so two years, I'm with the Nuggets and Rose is back in Massachusetts. Wow. Um, so for two years, you know, once a month, she would fly out. You know, we get a chance to see each other, you know, during the season. And that was it. So it wasn't like we got a chance to see each other a lot. So but I, she was nice enough and good enough. My wife was to give me that opportunity to do that. George was great enough to give me the opportunity to do that. Um, and you talking about heartbreak again. So now that second year there, first year we lose to the Lakers in the first round, the Kobe and Bynum and Gasol, that team. Second year, we play the Warriors in the first round. We set the Nuggets record for the most wins ever. Uh, still is for their, for their uh, organization. Organization. And I've taken third in the league, uh, third in the Western Conference. But that year, I mean, God, it was so tight. It was 58, 57, so many 56 wins, and everybody's next to each other. So we happen to play the Warriors. And at the time, um, David Lee gets hurt, and they insert Draymond Green into the lineup. And it was kind of a start for them to where, you know, things went. We lose in six, and we lose a really tough game in game six in Oakland. We were, I believe we were down 21 at the end of the third quarter come back either tied or took the lead end up losing at the end of that game great game great experience um really think we got things going george gets coach of the year uh so i told my wife i told rose i said quit your job come on out and um you know so she quits her job george gets coach of the year soon she moved out here with me she's still 
we're just in that one bedroom apartment yeah. on an arrow bed. We just put down a down to down uh, a deposit uh, for this place right across from the Pepsi Center. We really thought it was beautiful, really neat. And then they fired George. Hmm. So now they fired George. It means the rest of us are fired. So now here I am. What's that? Uh, three seven. I'm fifty six to fifty seven years old. My wife doesn't have a job. I don't have a job. <laughs> and uh, here we are. <laughs> wow. So, again, I was lucky enough. Um, again, I got a really good friend named John Welch. John helped get me the job at Denver. John gave Brett Brown, the 76ers, and said, hey, here's somebody who would be really good for you. So I interviewed with Brett, and Brett hired me and so forth. So I still was able to do things like that. But honestly, what I would like to run with the dribble drive, very few coaches do that. They'll take bits and pieces of it mm-hmm. and run it. They understand the gaps and so forth. But you can't – it's hard to run that all the time when yeah. you play so many games to have that mentality of just keep attacking. Now, the spacing, I think a lot of people understand. Um, but for George and Brett, uh, they took bits and pieces of it. But it was just – for me, it was just a great experience of just – Working with those players, um, 99% of NBA players I had a tremendous respect for, and they're just a ton to work with. They, some of the players get some bad raps, um, but the, the majority of the ones I dealt with just phenomenal. And so, you know, it's, it's it, in your time there, you had your imprint definitely on the NBA as, as the mid-range shot is becoming less and less uh, important. You know, a lot of people may not realize you were the first person who popularized that. You were, and it was popular with you before it was popular with anybody else. And it's slowly and slowly going away. More guys do it, but not not quite as much as how it was. One of the things that I've noticed, and you have too, I think, is that what the NBA does eventually trickles down to the lower levels, to college, and then into high school. What are some trends that you see? that the NBA is doing or going to do that you think is going to trickle down to our level eventually that we're not doing yet? Um, I think one of the other trends I think that I, I probably put, helped put in is that dunker spot. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to, you know, how valuable the bigs were before. And they're still really valuable. I'm not saying they're not. But once you move that dunker to the weak side of the offense, the opposite side, and have them learn how to move, and, and that's been – you take a look at the changes that have happened in the NBA with that. Yeah. Look, you know, DeAndre Jordan, look at Clint Capella, look at a lot of the bigs that way, how much more effective they are that makes the team. I think one of the trends, and it's something that I did way back and I still would love to do, and then we did, we did at Denver at times, I think coaches that can play two point guards at a time mm-hmm. are going to be so much more successful. You know, especially in the NBA, if you get one of them to be a little bit taller point guard, yeah. it would definitely help. I think eventually if you can play three point guards, yeah. how much, how much, you know, guys that know the game, know how to distribute the ball. You know, most true point guards now, well, actually, actually it's really changed a lot because now point guards are, or so much more of a scorer than a passer now, where before they used to be a passer than a scorer. So I think getting two point guards or two guys that can really attack, create for others, and create for themselves, I think is really, really important. Um, the NBA is just so different, though, Nick, compared to college and to high school. 
um, one, because of how many games they play, mm -hmm. how many minutes a game you, they play. See, I think what people – I know when I made the jump from high school to junior college, we went from 32 to 40 minutes. God, that game seemed like forever. Mm -hmm. Then when I went from college to the NBA, it goes from 40 to 48. It's like, wow, think about that. High school is 32, NBA is 48. Yeah. So you're playing a game and you're playing a game and a half. Now you you know, back then we were playing eight to ten preseason games, eighty-two regular season games. And if you go all the way to the playoffs, you can play another twenty-five to twenty-eight playoff games. So you're talking there's just no way you can play that hard and that long in the NBA. And the other thing is just the refereeing in the NBA is so different. You know, in in high school and college. You set an illegal screen, they're calling it. In the NBA, Kevin Garnett sets an illegal, you know, if he sets 10 illegal screens, they might call two. And that's a bad day if they call two. They call two, you know he's going to just rip into them. So that, the defensive three seconds, the wider key, and that's why the NBA, the pick and roll is so crucial in the NBA. Last thing here, last thing for you. Um, advice for young coaches, advice for coaches at any level. What is some things that you could tell people, share your advice and some of the things that you've learned over 42 years in the game? If you love it, go for it. Um, for me, I like seeing coaches that have passion. I like seeing coaches that really want to do it for the sake of coaching. When I get a young coach that's worried about what are you going to pay me, mm -hmm. uh, Right away, that turns me up. Right away, I, honestly, I don't even want to deal with them. Um, I've gone through my life where I didn't get paid much for coaching. Um, and to me, I want to see what, how much they care. The other thing I would really tell young coaches, go watch other coaches. You know, there's so many coaches that will let you. I mean, I, have, I still now have coaches that could come in and watch our practices. Yeah all the time they're more than welcome get out and go see that um give a year maybe give two years if it's something you really want to do when you're young i know it's tough um but uh, you know you i mean i've seen video you look at eric spolstra you look at you know i got a coach with a buddy named chad iske who's you know you know been associate head coach in the nba these guys have worked their way lloyd Pierce with atlanta these guys are working away from video guys to workout guys to bench coaches. You know, when you're a video guy, you're one of these other guys, you're putting in, you know, 16, 17 hours a day and it's nonstop. And, I, you know, and people say, oh, did you get burned out in the NBA? I loved it. I still, I still might, you know, if I ever got the opportunity, I don't know. I still could do it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in high school, I get here at 530 in the morning, quarter of six. I leave a lot of times. You know, we get done in the off season with the open gym at 8.30 or AAU at 9 o'clock. You know, three, four days a week, you leave at 5.30 and you get home at 9 o'clock. And this is just for high school. Yeah. You know, and we're in tournaments all different weekends. So just seeing people that really love it, go for it. Now, the hard part is, can they sustain that? Yeah. And that's one of the things. See, I know some coaches will do really well, but I know during the course of time that they're going to wait off. And that's why I said, I, you know, you asked me, I know we'll be successful because I know nobody's going to work as hard as, as I work. Now, I, I know people do, but in my mind, 
I want to see them work as hard as I do. Are they going to be here that early? Are they going to work? Are their players going to work as hard as ours work? And then are they going to do the little things? And I think that's really critical. And what I mean by little things, do they teach them how to be on time? Can you get your best players to be your hardest workers? Can you get them to understand that they have to care for their teammates? It's a family. As much as you love your family, they better understand it's a family. When you put all this time in, I mean, I have a lot of my parents who will tell me, you know, my kid spends more time with you than they do with me. Yeah. And so, you know, we're really, really big, important role models. And again, go back to where I always feel like I'll never cheat them. I'll give them the best I can. And when I can't, that's my time to stop. Well, it has been extremely successful for you thus far. Uh, the numbers, the reputation, it all speaks for itself, Coach. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, that was good stuff um, right from start to finish. Um, Coach is at Clovis West High School now uh, in Fresno, California. And if you ever wanted to reach him, you could find a way to email him there. Um, Coach, thank you very much for joining the podcast. And you and your family stay safe. Same with you, Nick. Take care. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksinado at ymail.com. See you next time. Mm -hmm.